The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Alright, what we do is to charge up our spirits before we start studying the Word of God. So, we'll do that by declaring God's Word. That charges up our spirits so we can study and have understanding. I keep on reminding us, revelation is not because of learning. That is human learning. PhD does not mean you understand the Scriptures. Alright, you have a PhD does not say anything about your ability to understand the Scriptures. You need revelation. You need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Alright, so let's declare God's word therefore. If you don't know it by heart, just look at that device. Look at that piece of paper in your hand. But what I want you to do is do it confidently. Project your voice very well. Let me know you are speaking and you want at least seven people on your left and on your right to hear. Alright? Especially those evil spirits that want to disturb you when you are studying the word of God. They need to hear it. <laughs> the Lord is good. Alright, I want to let go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. All right. Amen. amen. I said amen. amen. If you believe you give me another amen. amen. Understanding will come to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Light and direction will come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. By the entrance of the word of God, confusion is banished from your soul in Jesus' name. Amen. By the entrance of the word of God, healing comes to every part of your body in the name of Jesus. Amen. If the doctors were saying that those kidneys are not working very well, hear the word of God. That word comes forth today and gives life to that situation in Jesus' name. Amen. Perfect healing is your portion in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, your brain is t- totally healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Every tumor hiding in one part of the body is melting away as the word of God is coming forth Amen. in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Freedom is totally yours. Amen. In the name of Jesus we have prayed. Alright, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats and quickly get into our teaching. It's our school of Bible exegesis again today. We are looking at the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians in the New Testament. And it's important, let me just remind us again, there was a small um, article I wrote um, a few days ago, or the something I've taught here again and again. I just feel like using that one as a reminder. You must understand the scriptures, amen? Yeah. Everything has a code. Okay, I give you my computer, I give you my bank account number, and then you heard from my account officer that I have one seventy-five million naira inside there. And it doesn't worry me, you can't do anything. What can you do? You don't have the code to enter the account. <laughs> you don't have my token. Even though you know the account number, you have my phone, you have my computer. There are certain codes that you require to be able to understand how to move my money. Do you get my point? You have the Bible does not mean you know how to move the things inside it. You need the code. And the most important code for understanding the whole Bible is one simple word. And that word is Christ. Do you follow? Many people stumble on that. That's why the Pharisees don't understand. They didn't understand it. They were not able to perceive the person of Christ Jesus. Until you're able to understand Christ, you will take Genesis down to Malachi and it will make no sense. 
Some people say that the Old Testament is old. Genesis is Old Testament. Malachi is Old Testament. That's not true. The, from Genesis to Malachi, Jesus called it the law and the prophets, and then the writings, okay? That's what they have. There's nothing old in it. Is there anything old somewhere? The covenant with Moses, or with Israel, or Mount Sinai, is what they call the old covenant. Do you understand? But every writing is centered around Christ. But when you don't understand Christ, you are not able to understand the writings. That is what the problem is. Now, what you and I call the epistles today, in fact, the whole of the New Testament, from Matthew to John, the book of Acts, and then from um, um, Romans to, what was the last one? Jude, right? Jude is the last one there. Yes. From Romans to Jude, and then the book of Revelations. All of them are expressions of the code with which we decode the whole Bible. From J- J- Matthew, you start reading about the Lord Jesus. How come he is the Christ? When you get onto the epistles of Paul, he starts explaining to you the importance of that Christ Jesus. And without explain, understanding all of that, Isaiah makes no sense. Genesis has no meaning. They are just historical books that are guaranteed to cause confusion. Yes, they start asking you stupid questions like, who was the wife of Cain? When he has hear such questions, he does not know Christ. Is that hearing questions like the sons of God that came to the daughters of men? Who were they? When you hear such questions, they don't know Christ. Is it is six days? Is it 24 hours? How can you tell me the earth is only 6,000 years old? Are you, you are telling me that the fish swallowed a man. I like the way I, I, R.W. Schambach answered it. He said, yes, I believe that the fish swallowed Jonah. And if the Bible has said that Jonah swallowed the fish, I will believe it too. <laughs> So don't even, if you hear that that large fish was swallowed by Jonah, I will believe it. When you start hearing some of those arguments, like somebody told Ted Kennedy Higgins, he said, God should make up his mind. He said, about what? He said, Ezekiel is going to die or he's going to live. Why can't God seem to make up his mind? One moment you say he's going to die, the next moment you say he's going to live. A preacher actually said that. He doesn't know Christ. When you're hearing all these confusions, they don't know Christ. Was Isaiah written by one person? Many of you don't, don't worry. These are questions you have never asked. Was Isaiah written by one person or by many people? Some will tell you that from Isaiah chapter 1 to chapter 39 is the old Isaiah. 30, from, 13, from 40 to 66, all right, they say is the new Isaiah. Then arguments will start. These are people that don't know Christ. Once you know Christ, everything else is easy to understand. Because it starts falling in, into place. Every puzzle starts fitting into the person of Christ. It will surprise you. There are, there are trivial statements you thought they were, that were made in the Old Testament, on, under the law and the prophets. Historical statements that seem to be like prophetic statements. You don't know which one is which. It was about Christ. For example, we say, out of Egypt I have called my son. It's a very simple scripture, which was describing what happened when Egypt was, um, Israel was in Egypt. And God called them and said, go back to the promised land. But the Bible says that it might be fulfilled. He was talking about Jesus. Arise, take the child and the mother and run to Egypt. After that, come back home. I said that it might be fulfilled that which was written. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Yes, initially we thought he was talking about Israel. He said to Abraham and to his seed, 
<laughs> before that people be arguing. Have you heard that argument before? If God says that he will bless the descendants of Abraham, if you don't bless an Israeli, an Israelite, if you don't have this diplomatic relationship with Israel, you will not be blessed. So I've heard preachers say their ministry sends aid to Jews trying to go back to the promised land. I said, what about the hungry Christians inside Sambisa Forest? You're getting my point? Paul said, don't misunderstand the promise of God. It was to Abraham and his seed. Not seeds as of many, but seed as of one. And that seed, he said, is who? Christ. So once somebody starts telling you stories of uh, go to Palestine and hug somebody and so that you may be blessed. Tell him, hey, 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 I hug Jesus, I am blessed. Then I bless the whole world, Jews and Gentiles. I hope you're getting my point. This is what we are discussing. Understanding the Bible. In fact, this is our school of Bible exegesis. We can title it Understanding the Scriptures. Because by looking at the letters of Paul, Paul explained, he said, look, and he was not being, is that English correct actually? He was not being braggadocious about it. Is that, you know, you know there are some Englishes that people speak. <laughs> What's wrong with my new English now? You must understand. Look, I must invent it. I like it my way. Are you getting my point? <laughs> Now, so I was saying that Paul was not just bragging, okay? When he was saying that it was a special revelation that he was prepared by God to deliver to the people of God. Nobody understood it before him. Paul, uh, Peter, James, John, all of them had to learn it from Paul. Until Paul came on the scene, they were confused. And I explained to them, you want to understand the law and the prophets, this is how to understand it. Forget the fact that you guys were brought up as Jews, now you are primarily Christians and you are not superior to the Romans. That was why he got into trouble everywhere he went. He told them that every promise you want to claim is for everybody. He said there's no longer any division. It's one body. We ended last time, remember? One spirit. One Lord. One hope. One hope. One. The same hope. Every single person. No difference. Alright, so that's what we'll be looking at, okay? So let's pay attention. Let's continue from where we stopped. The book of Ephesians chapter 4 is where we were reading last time. And let's continue reading from that point again today. I'll just pick up from Ephesians chapter 4. I remember I like to read New Living Translation and then side by side with the New American Standard. There was something I said last time, alright? Let me just quickly go over it again. Uh, last time I emphasized something when we were beginning, even though I didn't get into it. What, I want, what I'm going to continue into today, I, I thought we'd get into it last time. So I give that introduction. So let me just go over that again. If you read the letter, the two letters, Colossians and the Ephesians letters of um, Paul, there were two sides to them. That is, they were broken into like two aspects. They were the fundamental, and let me use the word we use in common learning, theoretical side of it. Theory does not mean you don't know what you are saying. Okay? Theory doesn't mean you don't know what you are saying. Theory means this is a foundational truth upon which what you can see is based. There's this thing people talk, say them, you are talking theory. Okay? Theory is a foundation of life. People get the impression that when you say theory, it means the man doesn't know what he's saying. That is people who don't, that, that's for those who know no book. Are you getting my point? Yeah, if you don't know the way learning is, you talk like that. You see somebody, you are talking theory. Let's talk practical. You cannot talk practical until you know theory. 
Theory is the foundation of practical. Practical is application of theory. So anybody that does not know theory will just be rubbishing himself, guessing. A man of theory, there was one man, a famous physicist, I think his name was Kaluza, if I remember very well. Kaluza explained something, trying to prove this thing Paul had to make. He read about swimming. Alright? He never swam. It may be another physicist, just that Kaluza is the one I remember now. He never swam, but he wanted to prove a point to people. So he went and read a book about swimming and jumped into a lake. And he swam effectively. He said, because I have learned the theory very well, let me apply it. He jumped into the water and began to swim. That's why Nobel Prize, almost all no, no, Nobel Prizes given for physics is given for what they call theoretical physics. Almost all. It's just one I remember that was shared by two applied physicists. Why? Because they know that the theoretical man has done more work than the applied man. Because the applied man is, how do I say, is applying something. The theoretical physicist decodes things that are true without ever seeing them. So he gets his Nobel Prize when an applied physicist shows that what he said on paper is true in real life. And Albert Einstein used to say, I don't want to be right. I want to know if I am right. That is, the applied physicist will prove that what I said in theory was correct. I feel like discussing this further, but I'll, I'll keep myself, you know. It's, very, it's, a, it's an exciting topic if you read these things. Albert Einstein sat on paper, on paper, and decided that the universe must be expanding. But all the, all the telescopes they had then showed that the universe was not expanding. So he rewrote his theory and inserted a K, what they call a cosmological constant, to explain why a universe that should be expanding is not expanding. Because he said it should be expanding. When the Hubble telescope was built, they now saw that actually the universe is expanding. So Albert Einstein said that was the most, that was the greatest blunder of his career. He gladly removed this cosmological constant, yanked it away. What I wanted to say, on paper, eh? he told people what should be. In real life. So when you hear theory, don't make theory seem like people don't know what they are saying. No. Those who know theory are the ones that are intelligent. Those who know theory are the ones that can move the practical faster. They, you don't have to guess. If you know your theory. There's a man, many of you have heard of J.T. Edson. Thomas Edson, who tested the light bulb 10,000 times and all of that. And we talk about the principle of persistence. What we don't know is that Nikolai Tesla said the problem with J.T. Edson is that he wouldn't think. Nikolai Tesla said the problem with that man is a gragra man. If he will do more thinking, he will do more test, less testing. They were rivals. Nikolai Tesla is the one that discovered alternating current, you know, and then the, the, the direct current was what um, uh, Thomas Edison worked on mostly. But he said, look, this is my brother. His problem is that he's a gragra man. Test, 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 test. Nikola Tesla is a thinking man. I think he worked for, for Edison at the time. He said the problem with this man is that, look, everything is gragra. Settle down. Let's reason ahead. Not just jump, be testing. Why should you test it 10,000 times? You should be able to settle down and discover that this one is not likely to work. I hope you're following my point. 
Listen, this so-called theory is the foundation of our life. Theory, what you call theory is actually spiritual truth. Yes. It's spiritual truth. That is, we can't feel it, but it's real. So the first thing Paul did each time was to establish the theory of our lives. And he will say to you, Jesus died to wipe away your sins. You can't see the sin, you can't see the wiping. But he says, it is established, it is true. I will soon get a Nobel Prize when you have proven the righteousness of God in your life. Are you getting my point? <laughs> yes. That is to be proven. When you find what it looks like, theory, what you do now is, you don't say, now for spiritual things, listen to this. You don't try to check whether it is true. You live a life to prove it is true. If you are trying to check whether it is true, it's called doubt. But once God presents it as truth, then you start living your life with that in mind. That this my life must prove that God is true. Not because you are trying to support God, but because he's true. And anything that disagrees with him is a lie. I give an example. God says, I have given you the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and anything that's citing like that. <laughs> so come in and come and possess it. And they said, thank you. Then they went in there. They saw giants. And they turned around and said, we can't take it. Ah, and God said, did you smoke something? I told you, you can take it. They said, you don't get it. You overlooked the fact that there are giants in the land. Now listen, what people call science these days, all these, some of these publications, listen, once they disagree with God, know they are lying. You don't need to even check. If you have to prove God's word through experiences, you are a doubter. You have eaten of the fruits of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So people will now tell you that, ah, okay, it's true that man did not evolve. Man was created. So how do you know? We now found the skeleton that showed it. Because it doesn't mean anything. Because I said it before. Science does not prove me right. I was right before science began. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is what? Settled. It's settled. My word is settled. So when I say, as an example, that it is sexual perversion, for men and women to be involved in homosexuality. I don't care the research you want to do. You will go round and round and round and round in circles and come back and find out that I was right. They give you scientific findings to show that some people were born like that. You know my answer to that? Some were also born blind. Does it make it right? Oh, yes. Jesus, he was walking one day. And, he, <laughs> and the disciples said, hey, this guy was born blind. Who sinned? And he says, neither him nor his parents. But let's do the work of God, that the glory of God may be manifested in him. I must walk the work of him that sent me while it is day. He made clear hospital, put it on the guy's eyes, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The guy came back seen. He did not abuse the man's right. He didn't say, you know, I was born blind, that's how I am. You cannot come and be correcting me to make me normal. Which is what they try to do these days. I'm in one particular state in America, they made it a law. This, there's a, he wrote a law against trying to counsel a homosexual to tell him how to become normal. They say it's discrimination. 
the church dragged that one to court, say you are not serious. Now the church said, no, we won't take this one. Drag the matter to court. So that if you see a 15-year-old boy who's telling you he's gay, you can't send him to church for counseling. They will put you, the counselor, everybody inside prison. Ah, when you talk about persecution, <laughs> let me not digress. Let me not digress. I'm about to go. See, Apostle, before I get lost in my own ministry, <laughs> let me just stay in one place. Are you getting my point? What am I saying? They see all of those things. I never believed it. One moment. Why? The creator. We didn't come here by chance. We didn't come here by chance. They said the chances that the smallest molecule that's vital for life on earth could have combined, could have been formed by random collision of atoms is less than one in power 10 to 40,000. Now, when I was quoted last time in Makodi, I said 10 to 40. That was the mistake I made. It's supposed to be 10 to power 40,000. That's the chances that the smallest molecule critical for the existence of life on the earth could have arisen by random collision. That is less than power one. That is one in ten to power 40,000. How is you spell impossible? And this was stated by a man who does not believe in God. <laughs> I hope you are getting my point here. So we know we didn't come here by chance. There's a creator. There's a maker. And then the maker now gave us a manual for our lives. His word is set to it. You will make faster scientific discoveries if you read the Bible very well and ask for revelation. Yeah. You enter the lab, there are things you won't bother searching for. I keep, keep on saying it. Because of my natural training, I look at those who are studying cancer, I feel sorry for them. It's based upon a funny principle that these things arise by chance. If they know that things don't arise by chance, they will be looking for cause every day. And if they look for cause, they will eventually find it. But they don't look for cause. They look for chance. And chance is almost impossible to find. So billions of dollars is spent every year in cancer research. They're not going anywhere because it's a fundamental thing that's wrong. <laughs> they disobey their own laws every day. That's what they call the principle of causality. They don't stick with it. If you stuck with the principle of causality, you will do things different. But because that means you have to accept there's God. They say, no, there's no God. Jesus said an enemy has done this. We should just start looking for the enemy that did this. <laughs> the Lord is good. Some people are asking, wait, is this a science class or... <laughs> Or is the school of Bible exegesis? <laughs> what I'm going to establish in everything anyway is that we start by knowing that God is true. Amen? Amen? So that's what Paul started with. Establishing the fact that God is true. That was where he began. God is true. His word is correct. Then having established that, that's the first part of his, uh, uh, of, uh, his epistles. Both of them. Both epistles. Having established that, he will tell you something like, look, Christ died. You were raised up with him. You died with him. These are spiritual truths. You were raised up with him. Whether you feel like it or not, it's spiritual truth. That's what Paul was trying to do. He will explain to you that before you were dead, no matter how alive you felt, you were dead. That's it. Spiritual truth. Now you have been made alive in Christ. No matter how dead you feel, you are alive. He explained that every handwriting of ordinances written against you has been wiped away. No matter how much you failed, it doesn't matter. He says, you have been freed. He said, now you are in the kingdom. You see, that's why I said, listen, I said this some time ago, that you must learn to interpret your life in the light of the knowledge of truth. 
For example, there is a problem in your life. People say ancestral curse. You say it's a joke. It cannot be. They say this is exactly what happened to your father at your age. You tell, and then that happened exactly to your grandfather at your age right now. And it happened to your great-grandfather and two of your uncles. Now you are at the age where such things happen. Some will take the physical evidence as proof that the ancestral curse is real. There's only one problem. The moment you accept that, you have rejected this. The moment you accept that, you have rejected the fact that Paul said that your old man has been crucified with Christ. That you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Once you accept that, that is the fact, this story of ancestral curses, you have rejected this particular truth. You are getting my point? As a true believer, you must believe what God has said. You don't judge your life based on experiences. You judge your life based on what is written. That's what, that, that's, that's what I'm going to explain. So the first part of Paul's letters are always like that. Give you the theory. He explains it to you. You were dead. But you have been freed. Himself took your infirmities. He establishes that fact. That he paid for your liberation. Now in him. Alright. You have been delivered from the old kingdom. You are now in a new kingdom. New rules apply here. Not the same set of rules. You live in a different way. You just say amen to it. And then. When Paul finishes the theory, he now says, let's apply it. Are you getting my point? Let's apply it. How does this play practically? How does this one come into manifestation? The Nasdaq is giving a set of simple, let me use the expression, guiding rules. Because you see, the, the truth about Christianity is that you cannot make enough laws to bring Christianity to life. It's not possible. You know, if I read Jesus, you might get confused. What I mean by that is this. Take no personal script. Then one day he says, I hope you have enough thought there. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. Sometimes you start wondering. He says, don't resist those who are doing evil. Then he sees those who are selling ordinary, who are doing money exchange. He brings out a whip and starts flogging everybody. You are getting the principle. So, if you don't understand that Christianity is life, it breeds. It breeds. What I mean by that is this. It gets into one situation. It will manifest one particular way. It's the same truth, the same life. It gets into another situation. You start decoding new laws. New laws. You know why people don't understand that? That's why they keep on, you know, they start arguing funny arguments. Where did the Bible say a man can have two wives? Yeah, truth. Find, find it. You know, start hearing those arguments. If you don't have an answer to that, go and read my short sermon on it. The doctrine of monogamy. Because the truth is that there's no commandment in the whole of the Bible that says thou shalt not marry a second wife. There's none. You say, but Paul said, no. He said, Some people will argue. Dickens. That means if you are not a deacon, have fun. But we don't, we, uh, if we understand Christ, we understand the fact that Christianity is living. We don't have a problem with that. We can easily decode a few things. 
when he says that, just by the way, when he says that um, a deacon should be a husband of one wife, it doesn't mean if you're not a deacon, you can have two wives. That's not what it means. What he said is simple. The literal Greek is man of one woman. That's what he said. Which means that a deacon is not allowed to have a wife at home and a girlfriend outside and a prostitute he visits, which was what men used to do those days. It's even more, it, you, you must understand it. And he was not saying that only for deacons. He says there must be examples of Christian conduct. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you getting my point here? Yes, sir. He wasn't saying, oh, only deacons. No, 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 no. That they are the examples of Christian conduct. He said they must have a good reputation with people outside. Does it mean that other Christians can have bad reputation? He was just saying they are the examples of Christian conduct. So, see, the Jews had 613 laws. You know how many laws we have as Christians? Some say one. I'll give you two answers. If you say one, you are correct. If you say two, you are correct. And if you say infinity, you are also correct. One, the law of love. That one can be broken into two. Love the Lord, love thy neighbor, right? So I agree on two. But then when you start, do you know for Christianity, what is a sin? If I'm happy and you refuse to be happy with me, you have sinned. If I'm sad and you refuse to join me in my sadness, you have sinned. If I ask you for money, you don't give me, you're a sinner. Oh, you want to start counting? <laughs> if you don't play, pray every time, you are walking in sin. If you don't give thanks every time, you are walking in sin. If you grumble in your heart, you are walking in sin. If you speak evil against the head of state, you are a sinner. If you say it in your heart, you are still sinning equally, no difference. <laughs> if woman pass, you follow her with your eye like this. You're an adulterer. Forget all of this. I'll hang you. You're, you're gone. You're, you're dead meat. Okay, all of you see, they say if woman pass. If moto pass, you follow her with your eye. Covetousness. Okay. Yeah. Bendy drive pass, you say, oh, more. Hey, Bentley. That's it. He says, covetous. Hang him, hang him. Oh, you know, if, <laughs> all those of you that go to pray and be telling God what I have done, you see, I did this, I did that, so you will bless me. Because they will light a lie, I kill somebody. Yeah, God, God will not answer you. He's an insult. You're, you're so insulted. In fact, it's not even insult. You're so stupid, you don't know how stupid you are. You don't know you don't deserve anything. You don't know. You've not done anything enough to get anything. You have broken so many laws, you shouldn't be standing there. That's why when you are coming, you come and say, Ah, Lord, in humility we have come. We have not done anything right. But, ha, ah, we hope in your mercy. You are our Father. You love us. All the tithes you give, which he never commanded, we know. All the offerings you give, the, yeah, it's true. I mean, <laughs> he never commanded it. We arranged it to fund the churches. We know. You see, Abraham tithed. He was never commanded to do it. It was not compulsory. The tithing of Abraham was free will. If tithing is compulsory, it's Moses. The only person that ever commanded compulsory tithe is Moses. 
People say that tithing was before the law. I'm not disagreeing with that. You want to tithe like Abraham? Let's do it like Abraham. It's free will you give to somebody you meet on the road. When you like it, if you like it. If you don't, no offense taken. Why? It's free will. But Moses, you don't do it, cursed are you. The devourer <laughs> after you. That one is Moses. I'll be getting the point. That one is Moses. The one that you do freely. Oh, she later on nothing by Abraham's tithe. The percentage is up to you. You can do ten, or you can do a hundred, or you can do two. It's fully up to you. There's no commandment on the ties of Abraham. But the one of Moses, ooh, you bring all the ties. That is complete. You know what I'm saying? All of these things. So when we are coming to God, eh, we come only in the power of the grace and mercy that exists only in Christ Jesus. I went to all of this by telling you that what uh, Paul gives are what? Guiding rules. Simple guides. Based upon the revelation of truth that's spiritual. And those things do two things. Number one, it gives you an example of what your life will be like. And two, it tells you things that can hinder the release of the power of God into your life. That's what Paul did. Because if you're talking about the commandments, there are not enough. There are things Paul said that people did not know. They were signs of the spiritual life until Paul said it. He said, rejoice. Again, I see unto you, what? Rejoice. That was not advice. God doesn't give advice. He gave another statement. He said, let your forbearance be known to all men. But you know we can't forbear. This company is hard I'm resigning. Economy is hard I'm traveling. Paul said, this is it. As a Christian, your forbearance must be evident to everybody. <laughs> what am I trying to say? We are going into a particular portion of these two uh, epistles. You see that Paul gave guides. So people are wanting to walk in the spirit. I taught a series then, walking in the spirit. Please get the, the CD, or you can download it from our website and listen to the series. You will find out that when you are walking in the spirit, it says you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Some things come out of you naturally and spontaneously if you are walking in the spirit. What about that? They say, Paul, the commandments, the instructions for Christians are innumerable. They are innumerable. Because Christianity breeds. It breeds. It's life. It doesn't have just one set of codes and conducts like that. Alright? What Paul gave are guides. Because he knows that if you give him the whole Bible, he can't write enough commandments to empower the Christian life. The Jews had exactly 613 laws. Christians... Who I told last time, Algelo to know, said one day his father was angry. Why was the man angry? Because a man refused to help them. They were loading, to make it simple, they were loading stuff from the father's lorry in the cold. One man sat in the warm place. He didn't help them. When they finished, the man now called the father, please, can I borrow your lorry? 
the natural human responses over my dead body. When we were here struggling, you were watching us, adults like you. You didn't help. So when he told Lutuno that he told the man, his young son, what happened over there. So the boy said, so you didn't give him. He said, that's why I'm angry. I have to give him. Why are you giving him? Because I need to set an example for you, my son, on how to be a good Christian. He said, that's why I'm angry. If I did not give him, I won't be angry. Why would I be angry? I didn't give him. But I'm angry because of your presence. You've been present here. I have a father's duty to set an example on Christian behavior. You know, God couldn't command that to the Jews. He had to tell them, okay, 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 an eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. Is that okay? Uh-huh, fine. Everybody go and rest. Say, so what about the wife? Can we divorce? Uh, yes, yes. Just that. Once she goes, she can't come back home. So we can manage that. All right, fine, fine, fine. Say, for better, for worse. Hey, God, for better is good. For worse, lie, lie. And God said, okay, Moses, give them like that. How do I know? Because Jesus said it was because of the hardness of your heart that God approved that commandment. That is for Christians. A Christian man must take nonsense. And I said, so we can take nonsense. Because, hey, not from the devil. From your wife, take it. From your neighbors, absorb it. From your government, accept it. Manage it, thank you. <laughs> Manage it. The only person you won't take nonsense from is the devil. Christian commandments, they are plenty. Incidentally, the first prayer point Jesus ever gave is love your enemies. Pray for them that do you bad. Never ever say that they should die. Well, how do we practice it? All my enemies, this year, you will die. <laughs> Oh, the Lord is good. So Christianity is what? Living. It's living. It breeds. So Paul gave us guides. Let's look at some of those guides. Now we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 3. Eh, chapter 4, thank you. We're going to start from uh, verse um, 17. Last time we read the issue of one body. And all of that, that we are all doing something to cause the growth of the whole body. And not just our denomination. Every church, every denomination should take this as a correction of God to them today. If they will ever get to hear this message or this series of messages. That we are not here to cause the growth of our denomination. We are here to cause the growth of the whole body. That we should be built up in love. That we ended down in verse 16. Let's now start verse 17. So this I say, and affirm, oh sorry, I, I like the New Living Translation, let me just get down to it. He said, with a lot of authority I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Please, I need to go over this slowly so we can follow it. Paul said, don't live like the Gentiles do. He was writing to Christians. Many of them were Gentiles. He says, such were you. Ephesians chapter 3, he said that. And in chapter 2, you read that. 
He said, but now don't live like that. Which tells us we have the power to choose how we want to live. 